0: Welcome to this week's episode of Karki Monarchy. We are joined by the wonderful Jenny Graham, and she's going to talk to us all about Polish military history. Hello. How are you doing? Yeah, good, good. I've just, um, I mean, a bit, a bit mad. I'm waiting for my PhD
1: upgrade. Um, yeah. So we'll see what's, what, that's kind of the next few weeks. So I'm kind of sort of, you know, you kind of get to the age where you go I'm lying to my supervisor, like I'm handing in homework late and making up this <laughs> <laughs> no that at all is there really so it's um it's fine and like he follows me on twitter as well so you can't do you know that, that's that's the problem as well so the line is a big thing yeah but like other people like they go out for drinks with the supervisor, they crash on the floor yeah oh. <laughs> <laughs> <love> that relationship <laughs> what? It's, know, you think we oh, start a bit there um mm-hmm. but, yeah. never too late six months time me and Dan Todman on the rails you
0: know like, oh is it Dan you're supervisor? <laughs> no supervisor I love Dan I thinking, so much Mary,
2: Dan of course oh he's great isn't he he's, he's oh great. do it do yeah
1: it. this is it we, we, we don't have any fun really we just sort of sit there for their scheduled hour and things so it's um
2: can we no, join get, with get your nice. drinks with dan we will all have to meet up in london we'll, we'll go to the big polish <laughs> cafe and no, see really you live down we'll have a great time mm, <laughs> i'd love that i've had her fun. <laughs> right well, well,
0: well should we dive then. in jenny are you ready yeah I am ready.
1: Yeah. I'm just One at the dining
0: room table while I'm dishing up pasta. So, you know, my notes are all over it. This is, this is professional. Don't worry. No, <laughs> so, well, we're, we're the least bit professional on here, but we're just here to chat. <laughs> history. So, that, so long as you've got the history, that's the main thing, isn't it? Right. So Jenny, yeah. we always start off is we ask all of our guests, can you summarise your research in 30 seconds? I guess it's your wonderful PhD that you're looking at right now. Yeah, so uh, probably not thirty seconds, but you know, bear with me. Um, so I
1: guess um, what I would say is like Britain and Poland, nineteen forty, is like a couple that's kind of met on Tinder. They might have had a couple of dates, and then suddenly they're like one of those crazy couples that decides to sort of go into lockdown together <laughs> just to see how it works out. And they have to kind of make it work for the next sort of five years. So it's completely different language and culture. And um, so I, I guess that's kind of it's how both the Poles and the Brits both like from the civilian perspective and the military kind of just make this work, this, this relationship. Um, they're all committed to fighting Nazi Germany, but that's kind of the limits of it. You've got huge amounts of tension in the relationship. Um, so yeah, it's how like individual Brits sort of respond to let's put on language and let's sort of collect jigsaws for them and those sort of initiatives uh, through to actually how do you have like the 1st Polish Armoured Division serving alongside non-Polish speaking units in sort of Normandy where communication is hugely important. And so yeah, mm. kind of how those two groups mesh, uh, I think that's the heart of it.
2: Yeah, it's, I it's, it's so fascinating. And I, I will I will start by saying, I've been very excited for this episode. So I grew up near RAF Norfolk, um, drove past Polish War Memorial every day. There's lots of Polish laborers near me, kind of rice-lit area. Um, saw so many, like remember the 303 stickers because of Norfolk. So it's always been something that's there that I've never really looked into until the last few years where I feel, and I don't know if you agree, but I feel there's been a lot more literature that's slowly coming out about the Polish army um, between 39 and kind of 45, 46, 47. So it's really interesting to kind of put together all those pieces from what I remember as a kid, you know, you meet veterans. I mean, the Sozabowskis lived like 10 minutes down the road from me. So it's just really interesting then to hear about that. So what drew you to this topic, I guess, is what I want to know. What got you interested in this Polish history?
1: Yes, the, there's now where there's like the sort of family roots. So my grandparents yeah. were both like, uh, deported to Siberia and then they joined the Second Polish Corps under Anders and then he came up through Italy and then, then ended up sort of settling in Bradford after a time in the sort of uh, Polish resettlements of camps. Um, so there's that kind of sympathy for the Polish story and uh, why isn't this being told a little bit more? Mm. Um, but I'll admit, sort of, you know, when I was doing history at university, even in my masters, I didn't focus on the Polish war effort. And I guess there's another where, um, oh, how do I say? It's kind of I'm I'm quite an optimistic person. There's so much horror in the Polish story. You've got, you know, your millions of Poles deported to Germany, uh, to the USSR. Uh, You've got those, you know, sort of killed um, in the context of the the Holocaust. And you've got Siberia itself. Just and and the guys who end up in the UK, although there is a huge amount of sort of you know young people dying um in training or in, in the field it is the good news story um of of the polish army um it's um you know and it was seen as such in poland you know you've got like arkady fiedler yeah. right squadron 303 and it's dropped into poland and shared there's this famous and um, photograph a sort of polish and um, sort of uh graffiti not necessarily graffiti but writing on a wall in north africa that the germans sort of um allowed to sort of slip through the senses and then it's mm. Poland is still fighting, so it really is kind of the, the positivity, um, yeah. and defiance, and it's almost like you know it's, it's the only time they're really sort of fighting a fair fight um, against Nazi Germany, and I
2: quite like that defiance and positivity. Mm. So, what was the main what what was the main thing? Well, was there anything you were trying to challenge in particular, or any misconceptions of the Polish army that you were trying to tackle? What's your kind of you've spoken about the positivity of it and the resistance and the fight, but what kind of angles are you taking on it? I think there's probably two
1: um I was reading Empire land um and sort of is talking about British attitudes sort of Indian immigration. This is something that everybody who comes to Britain does it for a better life because everywhere else is scudsville, you know um and he was saying it's really important that they, they you know, yes, there was that element, but like Britain was. A place that was hugely significant for people living in the British Empire. They, they saw it as, you know, the motherland. And I think it's mm-hmm. something similar with the, the Poles where, you know, I just come across a sort of casual attitude yes. that my grandparents came because Poland was a bit rubbish and they came over to Britain to make money, to, to improve, mm-hmm. rather than the fact that, you know, where they lived, where they grew up, was no longer part of Poland. It had been given away in Yalta. Um, so looking at that sort of area around Lubov, for example. They can't go back, as an officer, my grandfather couldn't go back. He'd have been shot. He'd have been tortured. Um, so, you know, they make the best of it, and they do it with a huge amount of dignity. Um, you know, they start with absolutely nothing, no, no English, um, no sort of real transferable skills, um, and sort of rebuild that. And that's kind of that story of the Polish community. It's, it's not about sort of immigration for a better life. That they had no other choice. I think that story, I think, really needs to be appreciated by yeah. the British um from the military perspective um it's whenever you get the commemoration you get i mean gosh twitter is like why does nobody remember <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah. So yeah oh my god the polls so it's just every yeah. time jenny i see you posting yeah. i see oh, it i'm retweeting yeah. you to highlight don't you worry we're backing oh, you We're not much
1: in the polls again people absolutely it's uh, so you're just like oh so i remember was it normandy sort of 75 um, and I was sort of beginning my research on sort of uh Maciek and the first Polish Arm division. And, you know, you've got this anniversary and nobody's sort of sharing this, certainly on Twitter about the polls. And it just, sort of, I, I had to do it. I had to translate the memoirs. I had to sort of oh, wow. delve into the history and read everything. And it kind of drove me. Um, yeah. So I was like, I'm damned if the polls are going to be sort of left out of this particular Yeah. Um, so yeah, I suppose it's kind of just sort of bitterness and rage
0: really that's motivated. <laughs>
2: The best motivators.
1: I like, yeah, I see. I, I like
0: that though, Jane. But do you know what? It, it's you say business. passion as well from you because it is so important to highlight. And I think this is where it really I just had a moment thinking it's a positive element of social media because you you can use your platform for. Educating people who won't know, and if anyone isn't listening, do make sure you follow Jenny because she does always post some fantastic content about it. I feel like I learn every day from you, so yeah, (laughs) appreciate that. (laughs) For our listeners, Jenny, this might be a bit of a challenge to say the least. But how could you summarize how the Polish Armed Forces kind of changed and developed between like nineteen thirty nine going through to forty seven and away? What are some of the key points? If this is a bit of a New introductory topic for people first time learning about it. Okay, so this is massive.
1: Um, so we're not going to talk about this. Is what I'm not going to talk about the Home Army, which is a million people in Poland. Um, huge. I think they work out it's something like 45% of all the intelligence reports that the Brits receive. Um, comes from the Polish intelligence networks. Okay, massive. And then, you know, obviously there's a sort of role in coordinating resistance um, to, to the occupying forces. Not going to talk about that. Um... Okay. So that was, we'll set it aside. I'm not going to talk about the Polish Second call massively. So we'll just talk about the guys that are in the UK. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So okay. And then you've still got the three services, um, and we're not even going to mention the SOE or any of that. Okay. So number one, you've got the Navy. So these are the guys. um have Operation Peking, which is so cloak and dagger. It's very, very cool. Is this deal that there's no point in handing over the Polish fleet to the Germans, um, even before war is declared. The deal is that they will set sail and they will reach the UK. Um, so we get like these three destroyers and sort of opening these envelopes and, and, and sort of heading out um, into the Baltic um, and, and reaching the UK, um, even as the war's just starting. And they're hearing this over their radio, actually, about sort of, you know, um, Gdansk being attacked and so forth. So the Polish Navy is in action from like day one, uh, these three destroyers, and then we get um, a few submarines, and then those forces kind of added to as the war progresses. Um, so you get, you know, sort of um called Wiskavica. So, I mean, she's at everything from Dunkirk to, to D-Day. Um, mm. You've got these sort of um, submarines um, in action. You've got the orgel for example, which is this, this, this um, submarine that sort of um, escapes from um, Tallinn to to Scotland without any charts um, oh, wow. and, and it's like being followed it's been sort of tracked in sort of real time across Europe over, over the radio and so forth so um, the role of the navy is really really sort of significant. Then you've got the air force um, so the air force the Polish pilots are incredibly well trained at, at Demblin. this is you know on a par with what's being offered at, in Britain um, in Germany um, and very, very early on, before we get to the end of September 39, uh, the Poles are saying we've got this incredibly well-trained force, as well as all the sort of the ground crew and, and the engineer. Yeah. And it, why not make use of it? So the Brits, uh, they do that thing, go, oh, that sounds great. I'm very, very excited. Come on over. Um, and then they're kind of looking at the logistics of it and just go, hmm. Um, so the Poles want to be fighters. Um, The vast majority of them are trained as as fighters, and the Brits are very concerned about the uh, language issue, so um, they want them in bombers. The plan is to have two bomber squadrons in fairy battles. Um, That kind of evolves, and then by the time you get to early 1940, you get an individual Polish pilots and RAF squadrons, then we get to the Summer Battle of Britain um, has come in. Um, and you get the Polish Air Force established as an independent unit with its own Polish squadrons, uh, so you've got the Battle of Britain, and then by the end of the war with the Polish Air Force, you've got about 18,000 Poles in total, sort of, um, in one mm. role or another, um, and they're everywhere from, you know, they're sort of, you know, contributing to, to D-Day, they're doing sort of ferrying duties across North Africa, um, they're doing sort of uh, bombing raids over Germany, so so they're everywhere. Um, mm. And then you've got the Armed Forces itself, who... I'm talking really quickly here aren't I Dear god look, no, it's so
0: interesting. Interesting. You've got lots to get you, through <laughs> um,
1: so yeah you've got the armed forces where i mean i think they pr- must sort of reformulate more than any other sort of armed force um, in, in during the war so, so you've got sort of a million men under arms roughly in poland in september 1939 um a lot mm. of them then stay in poland um to sort of continue resistance many are captured many are killed um mm. you end up with regrouping in um, France, um, uh, towards the end of sort of 1940, you end up with about 85,000 men, but, but this army isn't the army they began with, this is some mm. of the men who joined from the army, then you've got a big Polish community in France, so you've got volunteers from there with no real military experience necessarily, and then you've got lots of sort of Polish volunteers, so artists and journalists and engineers who come to sort of join um, them, yeah. and then May 1940 they have to reform again on British soil, And then that begins to formalize and stabilize. So you get the formation of the 1st Polish Armored Division, uh, you get the Independent Parachute Brigade under Sosabowski, um, and then they sort of take the the war into 1944. 1944, 1945, then uh, it expands massively because you've got loads and loads of Poles who are under, um, who've been sort of um, conscripted into the Wehrmacht who are released and then sort of joined the ranks um, to a degree and it then switches to a sort of army of occupation mm-hmm. and then the final evolution is when you get these sort of Polish resettlement corps so you've got end of the war you've got about a quarter of a million Poles under British command um, oh. about half of them don't want to go back to Poland or can't go back to Poland um, and the British in this scenario what do you do with these people and there's a degree of pressure of a lot of them are in Italy um Stalin's getting a little bit iffy that they're on the sort of border with Albania could we maybe sort of move them as well so they can't stay in Italy Mm. though many would have liked to my grandma would have loved it she's loved it I mean yeah yeah. Livestream. stream worst places to stay isn't it (laughs) Bari, now we're in Bradford brilliant you know So, um, so yeah, they're, they're brought over, um, and it's basically the poultry settlement Court is this massive experiment on how do you basically integrate um, the, these foreigners who don't, for the most part, have English um, into sort of a civilian context. Particularly when you've got all the pressures of, you know, mm. mobilising the British soldiers, you've got all the pressures on things like accommodation, for example. There's a shortage of housing and so forth. Um, so, yeah, so then you get the Poultry Settlement Court, which exists for about two years, and then it's wound up. And at that point, it's expected that everybody's found a job in civilian life, or quite a lot then sort of emigrate to sort of Canada, America, um, Argentina, and so forth. So, yeah, it's, it's huge. Wow. It, it doesn't stay still. Um, so, thank you for <laughs> bearing with me with that and not sort of drooling the boredom, but there's just
2: too
0: no. much to it. It's just um, huge. Yeah. It's
2: just not really. Say it
0: I was, I was just going to say it's really interesting hearing that perspective of the involvement from Navy, Air and Army, you know, because you sometimes I think traditionally, if you think about military history, it will kind of go straight for the Army. So it's really yeah, nice yeah. to hear that kind of how the impact of the polls across all three.
2: Yeah. Well. And yeah, I think you did a really good job of summarising it there. I think it, the way that you put it, it just really hit us why we kind of put the question in, because there was so much massive change throughout that period. I mean, culturally, socially, politically, how what were some of the obstacles that they came across? Because there must have been some massive yeah, problems in in terms of integration throughout. So do you want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, um, so I mean if we're talking like post-war, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, one of the difficulties as I say is that I mean Poland Poland, sorry, uh UK is, is kind of it's beaten and it's poor and you've had huge numbers of houses destroyed. And we're beginning to lose our empire and our grip, and it's um, you've got a lot of hostility to the polls um, on the sort of practical level, a little bit like we saw with sort of the Brexit campaign of the polls taking up primary school places. In right, this, yeah, you go back to sort of 1946, and it's the polls taking up housing. Okay, um, so you've got that kind of practical element, and um, you've also got this quite a lot of hostility coming from the left. Um, because the Soviet Union's done a very, very good job of propaganda, of suggesting that all the Poles in Britain are fascists, for example, they're all landowners, they're all anti-Semites. And that's picked up rather uncritically by a lot of sort of trade unions, by quite a lot of people on the the Labour Party, who obviously come into power in 1945. Um, So you've got hostility on those grounds. You've got things like, um, I was reading yesterday, sort of casual reference to the fact that like half of the Poles had sort of served in in the Wehrmacht. Um, um, You know, they'd been conscripted and their families were at risk if they deserted and so forth, but but nonetheless... Mm -hmm. So you've got all of this sort of, um, sort of pressures. So actually, all, 1940 is a beautiful place. You know, the Poles arrive and they're welcomed and it's a really, really yeah. quite sweet period. And then it's really sad by the time we get to 1946, which is when all these sort of people are coming over with their families um, to settle. And, and they're, they're put up in, um, you know, sort of, um, I was going to say abandoned, but, you know, kept military camps that aren't needed anymore. But even mm. then we get, um, I was reading recently, um, I live in Tunbridge. And there's a, there was a German POW camp and it was actually um, stormed by um, sort of Brits fr- from Tunbridge Town Centre because they, were, they didn't have the accommodation. They were sort of sharing one room. And actually these, these camps, these huts, represented better accommodation options. Oh, so wow. there huge amounts of sort of tensions in that sort of period. Yeah. Um, and then when you get in, you know, we've not had outside of, say, Manchester or East London, we've not had massive swathes of immigration. Um, so you know, you're talking about, you know, sort of my grandma being told to go home in her workplace. She gets a job sort of dressmaking. Mm. Uh, or my mom you know, sort of talking about sort of um bullying at school and, and so forth. So you've got all of that. I mean, but obviously you've got that sort of gratitude that there is a safe place and that, that mm. they didn't have to return to Poland. They weren't forced to return to Poland. Um mm. very difficult and, and you've got that sort of big step a lot of the, the people that were um, taken by the soviets where your community leaders your academics your officers you know they had status they had you know position in society and wealth and that's taken away and they're having to start from from scratch um in the uk mm. so that's really i think psychologically difficult
2: um yeah
0: yeah i imagine
1: yeah
2: no it is, it is it's possible. Past- and like I said having grown up with a lot of kind of Polish friends in school and thinking about that a lot of them said their grandparents and great-grandparents who kind of emigrated over from that point for for various reasons and it is really interesting when you look at Poland's war experience with Russia and Germany and I think it's it's fascinating like you say the psychological effect it must have had on these men so I guess to take the conversation in a kind of different way then obviously because Poland's story is quite complicated when it comes to portraying that in popular culture Obviously, we know World War II in films, books, television, all the time. How would you say the Poles have been generally construed in popular culture? Do you agree? Do you think there's places that have done it better than others? What do you think is the best representation of their war experience, I guess? Um,
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's one point to make, which is the idea that the Poles have been sort of invisible immigrants. So, like, Uh Poland is, like, the the second most commonly spoken language in the UK. But you Mm. don't get Polish characters as a normal feature of yeah. most TV series. I mean, I don't know if there's yeah. a Polish, um sort of storyline in Call the Midwife or, or something like that, but w- that would make sense. Um, and yeah. so kind of element, but if we're talking like sort of wartime representations, I suppose, you know, if you go to something like Battle of Britain movie or A Bridge Too Far, thank god they're both quite sympathetic um, portrayals um and we like, do the battle of britain i mean that, that's regularly voted like people's favorite wartime movie and it's about it pretty well you know they're sort of talented driven not massive respect for, for british regulations and there's a degree of truth in that you know where you know mm-hmm. the brits flew in a particular formation which the polls thought was suicidal but they have to kind of go along with it um and, and the, the brits do actually sort of eventually adopt that formation later um so you've got that kind of side so that kind of sort of fightiness you've got the language difficulty i get that they've got a separate agenda they come out of it pretty well i think mm. the difficulty you've got that and then you've got a bridge too far and it does all yeah. the huge scope of it so you don't get any sense of where they've left for example what what is life like in occupied poland mm. um, you don't get you know the role of the navy you don't you get you know five minutes of sort of fighter squadron which is what most people take but you get obviously nothing about the army and then you've got a bridge too far, and the parachute it's tiny relatively compared to like the first polish armored division so that's waiting for a great big film to be made as well so um i think the films that exist that that reflect that are great i have a mm. really with hurricane i mean i love the lead character i thought it
2: was brilliant i was going to ask about that because i yeah i thought it was really good in some parts but then i was like oh I, d- I don't know did you think it was the portrayal of some of the characters within the po- the polish squadron um what I was, what was your what was your with issue I, think, with? I
1: honestly I, I was really annoyed with the final bits um where they're talking about the polish resettlement court and then deep poles yeah. back and like the rest of the film was fine and just yeah read would would suggest that just wasn't true so that bit drove me mad the actual yeah. um, you know sort of the dogfights the characters this sort of tension between you know the Brits were seen as pretty sort of mm. restrained there is a sort of class element to it and then yeah. there are cultural elements um I know sort of Zamoyski talks about um um he's talking about you know if a pole doesn't return and and you know the poles would get together and and they, they would cry together and, and so forth and the British wouldn't to the same degree. And um, mm. so that sort of really basic sort of cultural
2: element as well. So um, it was interesting, sorry to interrupt you, but from a masculinity perspective, I thought that was something that was interesting to watch um, um, play out in Hurricane. But with the, um, the scene in the pub where I'm thinking about the Polish man asking the woman to dance and then getting in a fight with the English soldier, was, was that a thing? Where did the English soldiers feel threatened by the Poles in terms of, course, of yeah, you're more yeah. masculine, you're more <laughs> macho than us?
1: Yeah, I mean, I am assured that basically where women and beer are involved, soldiers will fight of any <laughs> um, Yeah, I mean, you've got so many cases of, you know, actually sort of um, British soldiers sort of impersonating Poles, for example, to, to get drinks. Um,
0: wow. Kind
1: of, um, I mean, there's one where they take it as a massive fraud case, um, and he actually pretends to be a Polish airman for like a number of months to get money out of this, this, this woman and her mother and so forth. It's very exciting. But the Poles themselves they kind of reflect there's a lot of hostility that sort of arises from it and um, the sort of yeah reaction on the part of quite a lot of men uh, British men about them coming over here taking our women and and so forth um but they are successful with women um mm. and you know there's this book Um Polish Invasion um by um Pruszynski and he actually sort of spends a chapter talking about what why are we why are we doing so well here and he's saying it's it's not even just that we're foreign, so he looks at like the Norwegians, so we're doing okay, for example, wow. and but nowhere compared to the Poles. And I think some of it is, I don't know, I want to delve into it more because I don't think mm. it's looked at as a sort of a comedy element, and yeah. what exactly is the appeal, and a lot of it's the formality and this sort of the etiquette, uh, they, they dance, they kiss hands, there's that kind of vulnerability of sort of communicating another language. And know um, makes this really interesting point which is actually if you don't have a common language, everything's a lot more straightforward in a relationship because you don't have that small talk so it's you know you and me cinema five o'clock and that's your date you don't really need to impress more and then everything that follows is a little bit more straightforward you and me kiss and and so forth and 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 so Mm. so you've got that and then I think there is this sort of the romanticism you know these are exiled soldiers you know yeah family there's that sort of vulnerability and all of the issues of kind of honor and 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 so forth so yeah, I think there's quite a lot to sort of unpick um, there outside right, of the yeah. album, but it definitely is is a a feature. Um, Lots of mm. women remember that the poles could dance, for example, um, or they sort of you know wear eau de cologne, which you know your average Brit wouldn't, and so forth. So it's
2: uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. On there. When you when you said just then about the the, the kiss hands and stuff, that's all quite. I remember uh, probably last year or something. You whenever we were allowed back. pubs for the first time in Axbridge. I was outside and I was chatting to two guys, turns out they were Polish, we ended up talking. Weirdly, I mean this is the kind of weird conversation I get in when I'm drunk at the pub on a night out and I get chatting to people. (laughs) Somehow we end up chatting about history. But they, I remember one of them at the end of the conversation, one of them hugged me and the other one kissed my hand and said thank you for talking to us about this. No one's ever just known, well, A, known that much, or B, thought to strike up a conversation about it. And it was one of those moments that I look back and I think, that was really sweet and they were really lovely and it is nice now, like you said, that Polish history is coming out. And I I think back to those two guys and I think, oh, I hope they're, you know, pleased that their history, that they're clearly so passionate about is all coming out now. So yeah, it's been fascinating. (laughs) Jenny, before we get on to
0: you, I want to ask, like, because this is such a broad subject, you know, this is, I want to give you a chance to say, what if there's anything that people listening to this episode are going to take that you want them to take away in terms of this history you know what what are the key points or what is the most important kind of things that you believe is to come across really
1: oh god um i suppose it would be that the scope of the polish contribution is massive um You know, people say, oh, yeah, yeah, Squadron 303, that's their go-to, that's their bath of Britain. Um, yeah. they, say they don't know about the Navy. They don't know about the Poles in Normandy. They don't know. They'll know about Montecino, quite a lot of them, and the Polish second yeah you know, but they don't necessarily know what Siberia was, they don't know that this army is made from these absolutely bedraggled men who are skeletal, who arrive with no boots, who die in huge numbers of typhus, you know, that the journey that they take is significant, um, mm. and then they won't know about necessarily what's happening in Poland itself, you know, the sort of the role of the home army, the contribution of the intelligence networks, um, and I the think there's some really good English language books out there, and um, so there isn't an excuse really just to go down that this i know the Flyboys get all the sort of glamour points <laughs> yeah um but really good sort of comprehensive books in english um out there and, and yeah just just sort of follow it up and 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 get a little bit more sort of context from the polish perspective i think <laughs> i like
2: that i like that thank mm-hmm. you jenny soon you'll have a book out i'm sure to to fill that gap in the market <laughs> <laughs> that is the dream it is the dream. But, um, it Definitely. Happening. and manifesting it into existence it's happening it's happening so I guess we'll get into a little bit more about what got you into history, just more generally, what got you on this course of being a historian? Um, So I, I guess it's partly my gran, so we
1: grew, grew very close to my Polish gran, um, and then she sort of moved in with us when I was sort of nine, and she always had weird Polish things, you know, as a kid you're like, well, you know, she's got the little black Madonna of Chumster Hover, and she's got photos of my grandfather, and it's a black and white war. Wow. Um. And you've got all of that, and then you know she just tells really inappropriate stories because that's how she was. I mean, <laughs> was like life, the of death, but oh god, the number of sort of REF ghost stories she tell me, like I'm age six. You think really? Thank you. <laughs> um, so you've got that, and she talked about her childhood. So you know she grew up basically. Her, her father was um, an estate manager. They grew lived in the sort of forest. They had like you know pet pigs, pet dogs. They sort of cycled to school. They swam in lakes. I mean it was it was a very sort of idyllic childhood. Um, and then we've got all these sort of relatives, so like at Christmas you'd call people in Poland and in France and Australia, and I never quite knew how it knitted together, so there's that side. And then, I mean, my parents were really, really good at, like, you know, we did Every Castle, we did The Mary Rose, we, we you know, we did plenty of history. And I also just loved reading, so like Rosemary Sutcliffe, um, you know, sort of um, Eagle of the Night, absolutely favourite book. Mm. Um and, you know, we went up to Hadrian's Wall, and I guess if I'd been to a school that did maybe sort of Latin, I, I'd have gone down more of the sort of the classics route, the ancient history route, because I really, really loved that element of it. And um, so I guess it was all of those. And um, so, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I remember I had oh interview for Oxford, darling. Um, oh. and <laughs> Same question, and I went, okay, it's grand. And then also I remembered, like, there was this TV series about the Victorians we watched at primary school, and I cried my heart out because it's these three kids and their dad, um and they sort of move to the factories, and then one of them catches the disease and dies. I mean, it's pretty heartrending when you. Oh my God. Yeah. Really, gosh. I mean, it just just captured the imagination, um so yeah, really, really sort of good. I,
2: I wonder how many how many historians they are today that have like their parents in the National Trust to thank for their. Yeah. <laughs> for their History, that is so true getting taken to castles, we hear bad. that a lot don't we it's a cool part of British
0: childhood isn't it
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're lucky yeah.
0: so Jenny if you could bust any historical myth what would it be oh, I like yeah we like this one. Yeah, like this one. Oh, um. what
2: pisses you off
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't know I think it's probably very similar to the myth busting one I did earlier so I'm kind of a little yeah. bit yeah. Yeah. Sorry, yeah oh yeah that's fine I've fun. got that as a heading
0: and I've got nothing to say so you know <laughs> yeah, it right. strikes me if that's okay of course yes. don't worry well, well we'll jump to the next one then Yeah, yeah, yeah so no, no. so what has been the best moment in your career so far
1: um i was thinking about this because i mean i'm
0: still early days in the phd
1: so i'm still very much loving it and the writing and things but i think that the single one was a few months ago i got um invited to the national army museum and they um were unveiling a bust of general anders so this is the polish general who sort of you know He's a Moses figure. He he led, you know, many poles to salvation in the West. He saved the life, basically, of my grandma and my grandfather. So unveiling his bust, and there was his daughter was there, and the Polish ambassador oh, was an incredible honour to, to sort of. be yeah. Oh, I can imagine.
0: Um so you get to speak with, to
1: both of them? Um, the earrings that um, my grandma had sort of bought in Italy. Um, and so forth. So my mother, I can imagine, was freaking away at home that I would lose these. She has no. Oh, sister. bless her. Um, And it was just such a, a lovely, lovely moment to sort of, you know. And I actually got to speak to sort of Anna Anders and sort of express my gratitude, which I know is a bit fangirl,
2: but you know. No. It, I was going to say, did you get to speak was, to the daughter? That's amazing.
1: I bet that was really so, lovely, really so. I mean, yeah, that was incredible. um Yeah. Oh,
2: amazing. I like that. That's be, I'm sure there'll be many more in- incredible moments to come when you've passed the PhD beyond that yeah well then I guess it's time for our fun round then finishing things off we love this round we love to have a bit of fun here so Jenny not just Polish history you can go wherever you like who's your favorite figure in all of history um I was a little bit torn I kind of like slightly assertive chunky men
1: so I've got two um, number one <laughs> I was gonna go for Danton um Jean-Jacques Danton who's a sort of uh, leader of the French Revolution um, and yeah incredibly inspirational he sort of musters the sort of um, military defense and sort of ra- he's just a very rallying charismatic character one of my favorite ever books is um hillary mantel she does a book called a place of greater safety uh, about yeah. the revolution which is immense book uh, and it's also huge and incredibly detailed and but I love it love it love it um and the character that she creates for Danton is, is just absolutely fabulous so that's one um, of my sort of I was very much an 18th century historian until about sort of six oh years. wow okay so I did my, my my dissertation was on sort of 18th century it was about sort of Anglo-Russian relations and then so forth so yeah 18th century all over mm. it um, <laughs> I, I, well, I'm gonna go with with um General Machek because you know I I have to um I mean yeah and he's, you know, commander of the 1st Polish Army Division, he's just such a goddamn solid father figure, and he's decent, yeah. honourable, and he's just so goddamn brave and principled, and he's just, like, absolutely everything you want. in, in and sort of, you know, I see him more of a sort of grandfather figure, really, at this point, yeah. but, you know, he's just so inspirational and dignified with everything that's kind of thrown at him, and his men absolutely love him, and then, you know, and it it's just he lives so goddamn long he lives till 1994 he's 102 when he dies you know he li- spends more of his life in exile um than in poland itself um and he's just such a yeah just a decent man and it's not often that you come across that entirely in history so
2: yeah no not say? at all i like that okay. it's a well, great option who well, not decent well not men people who's your least favorite figure in all of history
1: yeah that's going to be Stalin, isn't it so yeah yeah yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> i mean he <laughs> Yeah, that's Yeah,
1: that's pretty yeah. sad. that yeah. one. I'm, I'm relatively lefty myself, but I really think the spectrum should stop at you know universal education and the NHS. And I think you know anything yeah. that involves you know sort of deporting families entirely uh, to Siberia and sort of you know mass death is, is probably a bad ideology. Yeah, completely. completely. Um, yeah so, you know yeah he, he hurt my family we're only really just kind of recovering from it which sounds really dramatic mm-hmm. yeah when you kind of start with yeah. nothing that's actually a big deal it ripples on through the generations mm-hmm. um so yeah the the you know sheer amount of suffering that man inflicted on eastern europe you know second World war doesn't end in 1945 in eastern europe it no. goes on until 1990 and yeah. he, he's a general responsible yeah. for that so yeah.
0: one. I mean, sorry why could you expand upon that Just out of it if you want to like what impact did he have you know on your family and stuff like you've just said um only yeah. if you want to you don't have to yeah you know? I mean it's,
1: it's kind of what's things so I mean most people I don't think grow up sort of you know at the age of six knowing right you might one day have somebody come to the door and you've got an hour to pack things and then you'll never see your home again so you've kind mm-hmm. of got that and it's still sort of third generation and I know you get lots of that sort of in the Jewish community as well that yeah could be taken from you um How do you cope? And that sort of provisional approach to life that nothing is. Yeah. I and mean, you've got really yeah. basic things, you know, like, um you know, they, they. My grandparents started with literally nothing. You know, they, yeah. they had their sort of army salary, and then they took jobs in in the mills. Now, had the war not happened, you know, okay, yes, we can get into counterfactuals. You know, my parents would clearly never yeah. have met. So yeah, my grandparents would probably have never have met. Um, but you know, you just think it would have been a very different life you know and it's just, you know you sort of a you know you're starting from the bottom effectively from language from social status from all the sort of you know networks and connections that help people get through life you don't really have that so um mm. yeah it kind of it, it, it does a ripple and then you know there's elements I mean it's, it's really sort of basic stuff like my gran and I recently she, she had dementia and she was going back to Siberia you know she wow enclosed in a home and she saw that as being in captivity um and you know sort of the doctor would come and she would sort of lie to him and she'd hide things in her uh her suitcase and and, and things and, and just yeah she was on alert all the time so yeah i did you know and that was months mm. ago um so yeah it's it still ripple so when people talk about why are people so fascinated about the second world war it's because for lots of people it really has still so yeah,
2: yeah. that's fascinating yeah thank you yeah thank you for talking about that so our next question then would be if you were going to take three figures from history on a road trip who would you take um i've been doing teaching the contagious
1: diseases act with my students which is very very cool and i've come across harriet martineau um who is the coolest of women she's educated and poised and she's written everything and she just she knows it all I mean she's just fascinating fascinating woman um I think my second character would be Louis the 16th because I feel really sorry for him okay yeah (laughs) so much like I mean he'd have been happy doing his little bit of clockwork tinkering he's the worst (laughs) um oh just being executed and he does such a terrible job of it all and so yeah let's just give him a nice night out I think bring him along (laughs) to the
0: sympathy yeah I like that I like
1: that and then I think my third one would be General Sikorsky partly because it'd be really helpful for my PhD to like just talk to him yeah that's that's a chapter in itself but yeah I'd, I'd really like to sort of talk to him about um, the stresses that he's under, the different sort of forces that he's trying to balance and um, his kind of understanding of this sort of outcome for the polls. I, I just think um, I don't know how the three of them would get on, but I'm doing this from a selfish
0: <laughs> perspective. As i just like to <laughs> the it. Yeah, sir. The best is fine. <laughs> um, we'll do
1: vodka shots to start with and we'll see how it goes, I think. I like
0: that. I like, <laughs> that. I like that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Final question then. If you could go back in time for one day, where and when would you go? Um, so again, as I say, I live in Tonbridge, which um,
1: would in 1940 have been, you know, set the centre stage for the Battle of Britain. OK, so I remember years ago reading a book called Boy in the Blitz, um, and it's about this young teenage boy. And, you know, obviously the Battle of Britain, it, it occurs during the summer holidays for the most part. So he and his mate would sort of cycle over and we'd find a sort of hillside and they would watch the dog fight. Um, and you've got, you know, it, it, it was huge. You know, you, sort of, you know, kids during summer holidays would just go and sit in their back gardens and watch this unfurling. And you've got things like, um, I was reading about the tractors. And um, because you didn't know whether you were going to get strafed um, by a fighter plane, you would have tractors going in parallel. Mm. You couldn't hear the engines of a plane over the tractor engines. So they'd then signal to each other. So, you know, this was very much ground wow. zero for all of this. So I'd absolutely love to be at the heart of of all of that okay mm. uh, you know August 1940 and 1940 is like my spiritual home as I say it's, yeah. 10, it's Going well with the Brits and the Poles yeah um it, it's a really sort of not a
2: good moment it's the second world war but you know it's a, really, yeah. it's a fascinating year to look at I agree I think 1940 yeah. is probably the top to live through year that before. would be incredible yeah amazing Oh, well, wow, thank you Jenny. so much, Jenny. Thank you for coming on and talking to us because it's been so interesting to listen to you and you're so passionate and so knowledgeable. Yeah, I yes, love it. it a great episode, so thank you. So, thank yeah, you, thank guys. you. really fun. Oh,
1: yeah, well, please, we, thank we try you. and be
2: a little bit entertaining. at least we can do, dragging our guests on. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that was the brilliant Jenny Grant talking to us all about Polish history. We'll be back with another episode next week, but in the meantime, don't forget to like, share and retweet. You can find us on Twitter at Karki until then, this has been Phoebe Style and Olivia Smith and this is Kaki Malaki signing off.